Hey, how's it going, folks? It's Abdullah. And Bean. And welcome back for another episode of Great Moments in Weed History. We've got a very special episode for you today. Our guest is an absolute legend, not only in the weed world, but also in the music world and in the world in general. I am talking, of course, about the one and only David Crosby, founding member of both The Birds and Crosby, Stills and Nash, and sometimes Young, both groups that have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, hey, he's a Grammy winner. He's the Cross, man. You know, the Cross. <laughs> we got to blaze out with the Cross on a, on a personal level. He wrote a song called Almost Cut My Hair. That's uh, one of my favorite songs, deeply meaningful for me. I think it kind of reflects the ethos of our podcast and our vibe here in that we are trying to stick to the real counterculture roots of this plant and of this community and not sort of give in to this corporatization and this mainstream vibe. Cross definitely has been on that trail for a long time. And as we learned and discovered, he is a real weed guy. He remembers which strain he smoked the Beatles out on 50 years ago. That qualifies you as a real weed guy. Yeah, seriously. It's crazy because he has had an eventful life. This guy has been through a lot beyond being just a rock legend. I mean, he's had some pretty well-known problems with various substances. He spent some time in prison, but now he's California sober, which of course means that uh, he just smokes weed, and he grows at his home in California, and he has a weed brand in development that's going to be called The Mighty Cross. I mean, who doesn't these days, right? <laughs> and he's also got a new album, which you should check out wherever you listen to music. And he's about to turn 80 years old. And I got to say that for being probably one of the most famous people we've ever interviewed, he was amazingly chill. So yeah, this is a really fun episode. We hope you guys like it. Uh, before we get into it, we just wanted to give a big thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Thank you so much. If you don't already support us on Patreon, please just Google Great Moments in Weed History Patreon and check us out. Consider it. We put all kinds of fun bonus content up exclusively for our patrons, and we would love to have you. Isn't that right, Bean? Yeah, absolutely. And the, and for those of you supporting us right now, it means the world to us. It certainly helps us pay some of the bills here. And it really, really inspires us to not just keep making the show, but to make the best show we possibly can for all of you. Your emails and your social media posts and messages also mean a lot to us. And uh, I feel like we have one more new member of the Great Moments in Weed History family in David Crosby. He really just chilled with us. You'll hear at the beginning, he kind of chafes. When we call him a legend, he says, no, man, I'm just <laughs> another stoner. And uh, so it's from uh, two stoners to one and from all of us in the Great Moments in Weed History family, we'll say happy 80th birthday to David Crosby, an incredible uh, accomplishment given all you've, uh, the many lives you've lived along the way. We expect you to be listening and to join us because I, I, I see that my partner has, uh, has a joint ready to roll, is that true? Yep, I got a fatty rolled up right here, ready to rock for this. How about you, Bean? Oh, I gotta get something Crosworthy. I'm not quite ready and, and along with you at home, maybe you're not ready. It's cool, just hit pause. 
roll up a joint at home, split a blunt, pack a bong, vape a vape, dab a dab, and when you're ready, we'll be ready for another great moment in weed history. We are here with rock legend, David Crosby. <laughs> Welcome to Great Moments in Weed History. Actually, I'll take that back. We are here with rock and weed legend, David Crosby. Oh, Welcome to the show. Ah, oh, Jesus. Hopeless. <laughs> legend bullshit. Legend. I'm just a person, man. I'm just another stoner. Hi, man. Nice to meet you. Welcome to Great Moments in Weed History. Thank you, man. So we look at... 10,000 years of cannabis and humans coexisting. Uh, you're only going to take us back a short percentage of that time. But uh, I thought maybe you could start by pushing back against this idea that the cannabis of the 1960s and 70s was not uh, potent and wonderful. Well, it depends on who you were and, and, and who you knew. The pot that we had in the 60s early was dog poop, bricked up, uh, full of seeds, kilos coming up from Mexico, you know, in truck beds. And uh, they were they were crap. Then somebody brought up some Cincinnati. I don't know who in Mexico knew about Cincinnati, knew how to do it, but somebody did down in Michoacan. And they started doing it. As soon as we got that stuff, it was an entire different world. Uh, it was really good plant. It was really good flowers, stunningly strong. But there was no no shortage of really stunning pot back then. We were getting actual tie stick that was real tie stick on the stick. We were getting uh, weed out of Kona, which they were calling Maui Waui, and which the Maui guys were calling Kona Gold. <laughs> Always trying to point the finger in the other direction, and uh, that all was that was all stunning weed. Really, really strong. Really. I mean, tell me, honest to God, put you right to sleep. Serious weed. And how much did an ounce of weed cost you at that time? When I started buying ounces of weed, it was like 25 bucks. And it wasn't worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and where were you? Did, did cannabis come into your life first? Or did music come into your life first? Music came first. One of my first mentors was a, a, a good folk singer. Uh, and I was riding out to a free dinner from a fan with him. It was my car. I was driving him and the bass player and the drummer. And they were sitting in the back and they lit up something. And I figured out what it was. I said, what is that you're smoking? And they said, well, it's uh, marijuana. And I said, give me some. And uh, that was my introduction. Uh, all of a sudden, we were only doing 40 and it felt like we were doing 80. And I was laughing a lot. I and how old it. were you at that time? She's uh, 20, maybe. And up until that point, what was your understanding of cannabis, what it was? Did you think it was like something that would make you crazy, that was dangerous, or was it alluring to you? Well, we had no idea. We had no idea. The, the general stack of information, you know, was that it was this horrible drug, uh, gateway to, uh, to death, immediate death followed if you smoked it. And, uh, and <laughs> you know, uh, it was all nonsense. They were so over the top with being anti-drug, they made us 
they made themselves look foolish and made us, you know, say, gee, that can't be right. But we had no information. And as soon as I tried it, I realized it was about like wine and beer and it was really good. I liked it. I, I did stop smoking for f almost 15 years uh, when I was trying to get straight from hard drugs. It, it took me that long to feel comfortable, you know, to where I, I did not feel threatened at all. And I felt like I could start smoking pot again. Let's go back to where, you, where your first question was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when did when did when did cannabis really become that was the first time you tried it, but when did it become a real part of your life and did it influence your creativity as a as a musician? Yeah, right right about the time we started the birds. I I smoked it when I was a folk singer, I smoked it sometimes when I when somebody would offer it to me, but I couldn't afford it. I didn't have any money. I was a folk singer. Folk singers don't make any money. We're lucky if we can eat. So, but when we got in the birds, I started having the money to do that. And so uh, that's about when I would start, you know, getting kilos of Sensimia. He said with and, a grin. <laughs> and what was your smoking regimen like back in those days? Like, take us through a typical day for you smoking weed. As a starter, you know, I wasn't very smart about it. I smoked it all the time. The way it's evolved for me, I try to get into the day and, and do the business of the day you know, you take care of errands and doctor's appointments and business on the phone and trying to do the, and keep up on email that's business or important or anything, you know, try to do some most of the day probably uh, before I get loaded. Late afternoon sometime, you know, usually, uh, sometimes middle of the afternoon if I happen to be doing an interview with some pot guys. Well, I'll be honest with you, I used to smoke marijuana. <laughs> In the late evening. Oh, occasionally the early evening or mid-evening, but that was it. The late evening, mid-evening, or early evening, but that was it. I, oh, occasionally the early morning or oh, the mid-morning, but maybe the late morning, but occasionally the early mid-late morning or sometimes the mid-early morning or, or the late afternoon. Sometimes the mid-early late afternoon. And while you were uh, in the birds, you wrote a song. Now, I don't want to say it's about getting high, but it's called Eight Miles High. Uh, <laughs> was was weed uh, the the impetus for that song? And then no what... shit, it absolutely was. <laughs> and what was the blowback at the time? This is you know, uh... Uh, it got called a drug song. It was it came out the same time that Dylan put out Everybody Must Get Stone. Wait, that song's no. about weed? Yeah, that one's a little more on the nose, I guess. <laughs> Those two songs came out right at the same time. One of the one of the record report people said, these are drug songs. This is, you know, the end of the world. It was kind of a hit anyway, but it slowed it down a lot. Yeah, anti-establishment types liked it a lot, even more because of that. That's what they never figured out, huh? That the more you try to suppress that shit, the cooler it becomes. The cooler it becomes, you know. So we actually did an episode, uh, an entire episode about Bob Dylan being the first person to get the Beatles high. And I'm wondering, well, that's very well documented. I see a... Uh... <laughs> yeah, you look like maybe you don't buy it. Can you give us your take on that since you knew these motherfuckers? <laughs> <laughs> For our radio audience, the look on the Cross's face right now is one of skepticism. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I was the first. They, 
I don't think Bob was the first either. In England at that time, they were they had hash. They had lots of hash. It was smuggled in uh, uh, easily from Turkey and uh, the Middle East, Lebanon. So, no, I don't think that, that he got them high for the first time. I do know that they did not have good wheat and that I did. Wait, so are you saying that potentially you may have smoked them out before Bob did? No, I, I think they smoked them out before Bob did. Yeah, and it wasn't. So this, as the story goes, they were in the U.K., eating methamphetamines and drinking pints of beer. They thought weed was dangerous, so they made Ringo smoke it. For, none of that's true, you think? All right, well, let's, let's zero in on this. Yeah, I think that's oh. all a load of crap. I, I, I know for a fact that they, they had already smoked it. Um, no way. Well, let's zero in on what we do know. What, what, when was the first time that you got high with the Beatles and, and they discovered that you were, as they say, holding? Uh... England, when we went over the first time, what happened is the British press, you know, said, oh, it's America's answer to the Beatles, which, of course, we weren't. We were a lame ass <laughs> little band, but they liked us because we were anti-establishment and we were pushing the envelope and trying to do new stuff. And uh, they came to our gigs and they were very friendly. They drove us home from the gigs. They invited us over to their houses for, to, for dinner. They invited us to parties. They introduced us to the Stones. They introduced us to everybody. And they were extremely nice to us. They didn't buy any of the comp competitive bullshit at all. They knew they were better than us. And they were better than us by far. I did have better weed than they did. And they noticed that. <laughs> when do you remember getting high with them the first time? And, and what do you remember what strain or, or, or what variety you might have had for that occasion? It was African weed that a friend of mine, an actor, had just brought back from Africa. Separate issue. Since we're into weed, and since everybody thinks that there's only uh, sativa and uh, and indica, I will say that I think there is a third strain. I think African pot is a different strain. Do uh, you I've, have a name for it? Do you have a name for the Africanus. Uh, African pot. Cannabis Africanus. Yeah, let me explain it to you. Sativa, okay, greenish brown seed, certain size. Certain kinds of smells and tastes we associate with it. It's a definite thing. It's a, there's a pattern to it. We know exactly what it looks like. Indica, the seeds are completely different. They're bigger and tiger-striped. The leaf shape is a little different, but the seeds are really different. The taste and smell is different. The pot from Africa is brown, not green, and it has little dark brown seeds that don't look like either of the other kinds. Not at all. Now, when that pot was brought from Africa to America and crossbred with sativa, it made Acapulco Gold and it made Colombian Mona, mm. both of which are brown and both of which have brown seeds. But there's a, a strain, as far as I'm concerned, the African strain is a separate strain. I bet it is genetically if somebody studies it. Anyway, that's what I had and it was strong. When they came to LA, then I had the real shit, seedless sativa and it completely blew their minds. And how did they get when they were stoned? Were they like pretty cool? Did any of them get annoying? No, they were the same guys that they were straight, man. They're just more yeah. happier. I kind of I picture the, 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 the <laughs> help movie. <laughs> Tell me, uh, how did you find America? So I left to Greenland. And so who are some of the other, of, of, that, of that era, who were some of the people, it, obviously it seems like you have a deep appreciation of the plant. Uh, a lot of people were probably smoking, but who were the people who uh, in your music circles really appreciated cannabis and that you looked forward to turning on to, to some of this great weed that you had access to? 
I get high with just about everybody. There must have been some people who didn't get high. But, you know, I was hanging out with San Francisco bands, Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, Quicksilver, Janice, all of whom all got stoned all the time. And how did cannabis work as part of your creative process when it comes to songwriting, lyrics, music? How did it work for you? Well, it works for you and against you at the same time. Smoking weed makes you lazy and want to goof off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it does stimulate your imagination. What I found out is that if I write shit down, uh, I learned that from Joni Mitchell. She said, write that down. I said, write what down? She said, what you just said. I said, what did I just say? She said, see, if you don't write it, <laughs> she said, if you don't write it down, it didn't happen. And you, you say stuff all the time that's really good. The thing that you just said, it was a lyric, absolutely. And you should write it down and then you won't lose all that shit. And she was totally right. And so since then, if I get four words in a row that I like in the middle of being stoned, wandering around talking to somebody, I write them down. And then later I look at him and say, hmm, you know, that leads to this. And there you go. That's a that's a real pro tip coming from a lot of uh, experience. And I think it's something you don't have to be a musician or, or involved in the creative arts to have ideas, as we like to call them. And if you don't write them down, they are gone. Are there any specific ideas, musical or otherwise, that, that you remember? I have books of them, man. <laughs> I, I, I seriously do it. Uh, on the computer that I'm talking to you on, I have files that are all... It, anything from three words up to pages. I like having my mind be loose and, and loosen the screws the way it is. I, I, don't, I don't mind that I have to write the shit down. I, I don't want to be a studious and, and focused in tight person. I like being loose and screwy. So writing it down is a simple answer. It, 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 it saves what you thought and uh, allows you to work on it more, apply, apply craft to it. There's you know the art of the moment the inspiration but there's craftsmanship too and you can apply that any good writer does something else i wanted to ask you about was you know you lived through a time when the perception of cannabis was vastly different than it is now right like none of us ever thought that we'd get here but we live in this world where republicans and democrats old and young everybody is kind of accepting of cannabis except for very few holdouts did you ever expect that to happen coming from the culture and time that you were in and how do you think that happened based on that no i did not expect it to happen i think it has happened largely because of reality the real truth of it is the pot's like beer and wine. Might be even safer, huh? Yeah, I think it is safer than both. But here's the thing. You got to understand, it's going to change even more. It's going to change more when when it goes legal nationally for a, a bunch of reasons, okay? You pay in your, your taxes to the federal government. Some of that money has always come down from the federal government to the states for health, education, and welfare stuff. That pipeline has always been constricted. There's never been enough money. At the bottom of that pipeline are all the states in the United States of America looking at Colorado and Oregon who can now buy a school or a road or a hospital today. And the check is not going to bounce. Okay? They don't have to invent a new tax. They already got it. They have the money. Every state in the union is looking at that. Now, there's two kinds of politicians. One kind looks at that and says, geez, I could get the money to fix that school, help these people who are sick, uh, do things for the people who elected them 
that they righteously are supposed to do. Okay. That kind is going to want that money. The other kind is the kind who knows that they can peel some off the bottom and steal it. They want that money too. Both kinds. Okay. Then we get up to the players who are really going to actually move the shit, which is the banks. The banks are pissed that the money's being banked in Canada. They don't like that at all. We're up to deals that are a billion with a B. That's the bank's territory. They say when he has a B, that's bank. The holdouts, as you call them, the people who are still stuck in the last century someplace, are not going to uh, hold sway here. I, I do not think that they are going to succeed in keeping it where it was. There are always some people who want to keep everything where it was because they understood what it was last week and they can't figure out what it's going to be next week. My God, man. Anybody knows, even a prosecutor like the vice president knows you're not supposed to put people in jail for three years for a couple of joints. That's just not right. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if that's basic morality, then we have the wrong people in office. Yeah, well, we kind of <laughs> had the wrong people in office. We did. Well, that's, you know, a look at where we're at in the sort of modern cannabis economy. But as a history show and as uh, history buffs, I'm really fascinated by the weed economy of the 60s and 70s and this era where uh, cannabis was still being smuggled into the country in vast amounts, uh, sort of homegrown, hadn't really come online. And I know you are famously somebody who loves weed and had a very big boat, uh, <laughs> a very wonderful <laughs> sailboat. And, you know, without incriminating anybody, I'm wondering if you you knew the smugglers and dealers of that sort of smuggling era. I did. I did. I, I, I did know and still know some of them, uh, old guys now. Some of them are still friends of mine. I didn't do it because I didn't want to risk that boat. Uh, that's a pretty special boat. And, uh, its sister ship got uh, scuttled with a full load on it. The only sister ship she had, the only other boat exactly like mine got scuttled with a full load on it in uh, the Windward Passage. Right a full load of like how many pounds of weed is that? I don't know. The whole boat was full. What were the smugglers of that era like? What was the lifestyle? Uh... You know, they were surprisingly interesting people. Uh, they were usually smart guys. Uh, guys who, who had been like charter captains or, or had been in, in the service and learned to navigate there. Pilots or uh, people like that. Smart, technically competent, extremely good sailors. The guy I was best friends with used to take a 60-foot uh, sloop, high-performance, modern sloop, and sail it from Columbia by himself all the time. He did it over and over again. Single-handed that boat from there, and then they would sail it up a river in New England. And what, what's your memory of that Colombian cannabis? Well, if you got the Mona, it was stunner. That's what we all were, were looking for, was that blonde, the gold. Colombian was pretty good anyway, but the, go the gold stuff, the Mona, woo! It was pullover pot. You'd smoke some, <laughs> forget where you were going, decide you better put, park the car and think about it for a while because you were not any, any longer sure where it was that you had been going and you felt kind of nice just parked over here because it was raining and, gee, that sound of the rain on the car is really nice. 
wow, I think maybe I'll just sort of sit here for a little while. <laughs> That's pretty specific, Cross. <laughs> it sounds like you just transported back to a different place in time for a second there. That oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good sense for me, Smith. And what about besides Eight Miles High that we talked about? Are there are there any other songs from your from your songbook that you can specifically peg to? To, to weed? No, actually. And it's surprising because, you know, I I, I like weed. Uh, but no, I, I write mostly about love, man. I write mostly about, uh, you know, love found, love desired, love lost, love. Uh, I write some about, you know, politics and the world and, and the situation that we're in. I write anything else? No, not really specifically. I don't think I've written another one about weed. I think it's probably time. Did we just spark <laughs> a new David Crosby song about weed? You may have. You may have. Whoa. It's a wow. good idea. This is an actual great moment in weed history. In weed history. Yeah. And we're, uh, right we're splitting the songwriting credits three ways. <laughs> no, no, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You don't get part of the yeah. poem. Uh, <laughs> no. Anything oh, no. conceived no. of. Oh, no. Remember when you initialed that, uh, that NDA? Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, we'll vote on it. Everybody who thinks it should be a three-way split, raise your hand. Yeah. yeah. Crosby, Bean, and Saeed. There seems to be some static. I can't. Oh, golly. <laughs> oh. Let's harmonize, guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, my God. What, what are you smoking oh, yes, on I'm these days? What, what, what's your go-to for right now? Um, we grow our own. And we grow about four or five different kinds. Uh, the names, you know, I think they're people just made them up last week. Uh, they don't, you know, they do that in the stores all the time. They just invent new names, you know, for anything. They don't really, it's all silly. We have about four, no, five kinds started already for this year's crop. We grow them and dry them and, and uh, we bring in, a, you know, a clean, a, you know, a clean crew and they, they trim them out, trimming crew. And then I smoke it in a, a PAX 3. And what's uh, your strain? What's your like all day strain? I, I don't, you know, my wife tells me it's called purple, but it, it, we we really have no idea what the strains are, man. Honest to God, you don't. Even when they tell you that that's what that strain is, mm-hmm. you don't really know. Only the genetics. You follow your nose. Follow your nose, and only the genetics guys really know. Right. So, so you're so, not so much into the dabs or the, the no, oils. No, I've tried them all, and, and they are mm-hmm. good ways to get high. Not for me. My thing is buds that we grew in a PAX 3, and it works like a bandit for me. And no right. more joints for you anymore? Oh, no, we smoke joints every day. Yeah, We have a, a ritual that we do. Uh, every night, we watch a movie together. We have a screen that comes down from behind a beam and a projector uh, you know, that's connected up to the net. And we've been watching Game of Thrones. Oh, I, nice. For the first I, time. No, no, for the third or fourth time. Oh. But uh, we, uh, when we do it, uh, my job is to roll a big, fat joint, uh, which we then sit on the couch and share. Hell yeah. And what kind of joints do you roll? Do you use a crutch or just like, just no, I, uh, paper? I'm old school, man. I use a, a, a one and a half paper and a roll, uh, uh, not, a, a, not a spleef, just a regular, you know, regular joint with the ends. 
And you may not know this, Abdullah, but uh, uh, Mr. Crosby has a second career as the nation's premier joint critic on Twitter. <laughs> oh, really? I did not know this. So what's yeah, wrong with the way people roll joints these days? They send a picture of the joint and say, tell me what you think of this one. And uh, I tell them, yeah, it's a little lumpy and uh, it kind of looks like real, a, huh? Yeah, no that one looks pulled. like a snake that ate an egg. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I want to just say to our listeners, any joint that smokes is 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 uh, something to be okay with, but there are finer. Uh, well, there, you can take it to an artistic level, you know, and mm -hmm. some people do. I do. Honestly, I gotta say, I agree. Like, I've rolled a lot, a lot of joints in my day. I've got it pretty much down to like a science. It's like gone through its own evolution. And uh, I am a stickler for it. I judge people who stuff a cone. I judge people who stuff a cone. I'm not perfect. I judge <laughs> people who do that. I think we can be snotty about that one thing. You know, I, I think, think so we can. Too. I think we can look down on people who just, just load a cone. Maybe this is what the song's gonna be about. <laughs> integrity and then on the on the end of growing your own how long have you been doing that how much do you like um, to engage in that we're in our fifth season and what have, what have you learned what what's the process been like for you that what is it's it? an enormous amount of fun the plants are beautiful and lovely and they respond to you they grow like crazy and they're beautiful they're just beautiful plants what we wind up doing is we you know make some coffee and go out there in the morning in our underwear and wander around in the plants in the garden and pluck off a leaf here and talk to them tell them how lovely they are and water them and stuff it's fun wow that's a beautiful image you just painted there cross well if you lived here, I'd show you. Yeah, I'd say you want to be the third co-host of our show. No, oh, man, I've already got. <laughs> you this is really funny. Did you know about the Ask Cross thing where they the enrolling? No. Oh yeah, I've seen them. You seen it, right? Okay, well here's the deal. Mm -hmm. So they called me up. This little guy that that works at Rolling Stone. He's like one of their heavies. And he calls me up and he says, "We want you to do an advice column." And I said, "You're out of your fucking mind." I, I'm a noted loony. No one is going to ask me for advice about anything <laughs> ever. And they said, that's why it's funny. And so we've done it about five times now. Uh, they don't let me see the questions ahead of time. I'm winging it. Uh, and it does get funny. And uh, it's kind of a success. So then three different groups of people call me up and say, that's a TV show. You, you don't understand. You're, what you're doing is a TV show. And one of those groups of people has actually gotten people to say that that's what they want to do. I, 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 I dude, you gotta do that. That's such a good idea. Yes, I got to, right? Yeah, that's a, that's fantastic. It's like a whole new career for you. You could be like, and what uh, a career. You know. Think about it, man. I get to be opinionated and get paid for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, help people. It's you know, you get to help green. A curmudgeon's <laughs> dream, man. It's like unbelievable. Curmudgeon's dream, dude. You got to call it curmudgeon's dream. I and think as uh, partners on curmudgeon's dream, we're, we're a go. <laughs> as your co-producer. My like, show. You just my show. <laughs> well, let's do a little, uh, let's do a little spinoff. What's your grow advice after five years? What, what have you, what do you know about cultivating the plant now that, that you learned along the way? Jesus, I don't, you know, I'm, my wife is way better at it than I am. She has a green thumb. She's just naturally a good gardener, uh, the way she's a good chef, you know, 
but she really has studied the process and she knows what kind of nutrients, what, what kind of watering cycles. She's the queen of the, of the trees. A couple of questions. If uh, Abdul and I are looking for a little seasonal work with the scissors come October, <laughs> uh, I could do yeah, about a pound is. and a half a day. And is there a guitar accompaniment? <laughs> will, 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 you, will you play some songs for the trim crew? I don't know. That's really pushing it. We do pay a hundred, a hundred, at least a hundred pound per trim. But I'll bring a Walkman. We'll be. <laughs> we already, we already, we already got a trim crew. We've got a loyal trim crew that wants to come back because we do it here by the pool. It's it's not in, not in an uh, uh, in somebody's closet somewhere. All right, cool. We'll take it as a maybe. You know, so you you also have spent time with another legendary figure who we've talked about on the show before jerry garcia can you tell us like what a sesh was like you know between the two of you i mean you know now this is like pretty mythical stuff but what was that experience like for the both of you take us through like what a sesh was like well he was pretty much the same about weed as i was he loved it and we smoked it all the time but the main thing between us wasn't the pot pot was just an addendum it was just like a, a like drinking water for us. Our thing was the music. If Jerry and I could pick up two guitars, something happened, some kind of chemistry that I don't fully understand, but uh, it, it wasn't any question that it happened. There would be sort of something waiting in the wings there and it would just all of a sudden blossom into music. Pretty serious, wonderful gift. As far as I can remember, always high when we did it. Always, every time we ever made music together, we were high. I'm certain that Jerry Garcia and I never played a straight note in our lives. <laughs> That's awesome. And so these were, you're talking about just sort of it, it, even informal improvisation sessions. And Anything, it, yeah. Anytime we, anytime, anytime we did any music together, it got magical and right away. It, it, was, some, it was the quality of his, I guess it's the quality of mine. It was magical, man. I get I get uh, emotional about it because I never met anybody else like that in my life. And this reminds me of we we also did an episode about the jazz scene of the '30s and '40s, which was really fueled by a lot of you know what they would call reefer smoking and uh, a lot of improvisation. As you related to other musicians, did you find cannabis brings you to that space to improvise with another musician and? Form that kind of connection? Good question. I don't know if it's specifically, let's see, let's, let's unpack this. It does make you feel looser. It does kind of let you let go of the rest of the world. You're not concerned with geopolitics or, or ancient history or anything. You sort of focus down into the music and the weed helps with that. And the weed does seem to create a matrix where it can happen uh, it does seem to do that. I do not think it gets in the way. I would put it uh, as a strong help to creativity. But, you know, there are other people that argue just as strongly that it just plugs your mind up and you'd be better off without it. But I don't think they create a lot, the people who say that stuff. We go, when we go back to the roots of the modern war on drugs <laughs> and the sort of Nixonian approach that we're going to use this policy to specifically target people of color, uh, poorer people, and the anti-war left. This is in their own words. Yeah, they and thought it was a vulnerability on our part, and they could, ex and they felt they could exploit it. They said, "We'll arrest those sons of bitches." Was was that something that was on that was in your consciousness at the time sure. that this is being used as a as a proxy for targeting the anti-war left? Yeah. 
How do you feel when those red lights go on behind you? Scared. Not real good, huh? Terrified. <laughs> Not real good, right? Okay, yeah. well, that's how we felt all the time. Yeah. Jesus. Walking around. I'm brown. I terrify some shit out of you. Terrify the shit out of you, man. Yeah. Motherfucker. Yeah, yeah but, I know. Yeah. I, believe me, I've been a second-class citizen in the United States of America. At times back then, that's how it was. Hey, long hair. Right. Hey, For being a hippie, boy. basically. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you hippie commie son of a bitch. You know, uh, it's, it's educational, man. It teaches you a whole lot. Teaches mm. you about people, but it also teaches you about yourself. And, you know, looking at a time, coming from a time when that lifestyle, the whole lifestyle around cannabis was essentially a huge risk, and seeing now that it's something that's so normalized, right, that it's almost lost its counterculture edge and has become something, as you said, where there's Wall Street guys walking down the hall hitting vapes and shit. And now, you know, of course, there's oncoming corporate cannabis what do you think of that? Are there actual dangers to where we've come with cannabis, even though- Yeah, sure. We we, we, then? Okay, now in the last year, Molson, Anheuser-Busch, Marlboro, P. Lorillard, these are massive goddamn companies, man. And they're all going to the pot business. Those are our four advertisers. Yeah, yeah. they're our spot. Actually, let's do the ad reads for them <laughs> right here. They went to show, down the tubes, <laughs> bam, and one shot, he killed it. They're going into it because- th- th- you know, it'll make money and it, it will normalize it for us. It will, it will remove some more of the stain and more of the strain, but they don't have a good effect on anything they touch. They're not going to make it better. They're going to make it, you know, brand X and brand Y and packaging and, you know, the best thing in the goddamn world. And it will be half as good as what we grow. What they will do is make it more normal. Yeah, unless they can teach a robot to love, and then that robot is what grows the weed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't think they can do that, man. But do you think that <laughs> clearly, you know, because of the prohibition, cannabis has been pushed into the margins and has been associated with sort of anti-authoritarian views. But as somebody who for 50 years has been pushing back against this authoritarian streak in the United States that we see flourishing again in a really frightening way, do you think there's something inherent in the experience of being high on weed that brings about that sort of questioning of authority? Or is it simply that it has been placed in this area of prohibition for so long? Interesting question. I don't, mm. I think you'd be hard pressed to find an inherent quality in it that makes us anti-establishment. And I don't think it's an inherent quality. And I do think that it is, an, no, I think it's come from the sociological outfall from it being illegal and us being thought of as, as marginalized uh, citizens. We get painted with a bad brush and it, it, we don't deserve it. We, we're not lawbreakers. We don't go out and rob a liquor store, man. Our biggest crime is to drive slow and eat ice cream. We're pretty friendly people, pot smokers. All right. In my opinion, weed does sort of uh, encourage empathy a little bit. Right? Yes, it does. It sort of like puts you in another person's shoes or so like, you know, makes you think more about it in some way. So like, I, I think, in think this... that's right. I think it does do that. And I don't know why, and I'm not sure how, but I do think it does that. It makes me more open to seeing the humanity in another human. And I think that in our world is inherently anti-authoritarian because our authorities are so fucked up. 
I think if we lived in a world that was being well run by just equitable and kind people, getting high would make you love them. <laughs> <laughs> I completely get one. <laughs> it's hard to imagine that world. Uh, even the imagining of that world is a radical act. And, and I think yeah. some of the prohibitions originate from, from trying to tamp that out. Did, did you feel that getting high was an inherently political act? I definitely, <coughs> definitely did think it was a political act. We all did. We would light up in public and, uh, you know, like smoke one on, and we'd walk on stage and exhale a huge amount of, uh, that was one of my favorite tricks. We'd walk on stage and exhale a huge cloud of smoke, uh, you guys are like rappers. Yeah. <laughs> well, they came after us. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's, what's the biggest you. stage you can you can remember pulling that move on? Wembley. <laughs> so like 100,000 That's people. like, yeah, 50,000. Yeah. The, the stands hold like 50,000, and then the, the entire field was full too. Wow. That is crazy, man. And so, you know, another thing I wanted to ask you about was, you know, of course, mashallah, you're still in good health, you know, at your age, despite having, you know, gone pretty hard for a lot of your life. Do you attribute any of your health to cannabis? You know, we like to think that smoking lots of cannabis every day, you know, now we understand that there's health health benefits to that, obviously. But do you think that that's helped to bolster your immunity and your resilience? I don't know. And I think you'd have a hard time proving it. I do know that I have done it consistently for 50 years now or more, and I'm <clears throat> still here. Now, some people say that's just because only the good die young. <laughs> that was a joke. It was a joke. Uh, uh, it, it's definitely the, the CBD part of it definitely uh, has health benefits because I use it already. I've got tendonitis in both hands. And uh, we use CBD cream on my hands, and it helps. Oh, you do the topicals, huh? Yeah. Well, it it, it helps with the tendonitis. It happens to old people's hands. They, they get weird after a while. It's tough if you're a guitar player. Are you familiar with the term California sober? No. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a term people have been using for people, <laughs> I believe, like yourself, who have uh, had substance abuse problems, have reach sobriety but include cannabis within their conception of sobriety yeah. so basically smoke weed but no other drugs no drinking well yeah what whatever they want to call it that's what i do i i, I don't do anything else at all uh nothing else is really worth it or safe to do you know other than psychedelics i think it's a good thing in in my life anyway i'm i'm happy about the effect it's it's definitely a controversial subject in the world of sort of recovery people and i don't know i, I think it should be man because that's not really sober i don't want to, to preach but it's not being sober now i was sober for 14 and a half years by sober i mean sober and i don't think there's any gray area about it and i, I think that's my disagreement with with that idea I don't think you can have, when you're trying to stay sober, you really can't have no gray area. Uh, you can't do a little of anything. So for 14 years, I went to meetings three, four times a week. I did nothing, not a beer, not a glass of wine, not a pill, nothing, period, nothing. Because that's what you have to do. Now, I was trying to beat heroin and cocaine. That's real serious stuff. It took me a year in prison to, to break it. 
year in a cell in prison, maximum security in Texas. That's what it took. Then it took 14 years of going to meetings. And it, it did, wasn't until I had done it 10 years of sobriety that I started to even feel that, that it was going to let go of me. Um, do you know about slip dreams? Okay. People who are trying to quit uh, dream that they did it. It's called a slip dream. Everybody that, that's trying to quit has had those dreams. Every single person I know that's ever been uh, trying to quit serious drugs has had those dreams. When the dreams stop, that's when you're actually okay. And it takes like, it took me 10 years. But when that happened, I let it go on for a little while longer. I stayed sober for another four years. And then I felt comfortable enough. It didn't feel like it was snapping at my heels anymore. Felt okay for me to start smoking pot. And that's the only thing I do. I think calling it any kind of sober is cheating. Sober is sober. Smoking is smoking. I don't think there's a middle ground. And what was that first uh, dipping the toe back in like? Whoo! <laughs> That's a tolerance break. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, 18 years tolerance Holy break. shit, man. 14, but it was, you know, 14, it was spectacular. Yeah. It was spectacular. I, you know, I, I went and my wife and I did it and, and we just went to bed and curled up and hugged each other and laughed. We just laughed for hours. We, we were very happy. In our lives, anyway, it's been a good thing. I don't know if it is a good thing for everybody else. I can't tell anybody else what to do. But it, for, for me, it's fun all the way around. I like growing it. I like working it. I like uh, smoking it. And it seems to work okay with being a musician. And if you could, if you could set the time machine back to any joint that you smoked anywhere with any group of people, something, you know, real thing that happened, uh, what's sort of your greatest moment in weed history? Hmm. No, I can't tell you that one. <laughs> <laughs> Statue of Limitations is only seven years. Uh, no, no, I really can't tell you that one. Uh, uh, probably when the Beatles came to the United States and came and they were in Hollywood, in the Hollywood Hills, in a mansion up there. And I went up there and hung out with them quite a bit. I'd say the first, the first joint that we smoked up there of my, by that time, real weed, watching their faces. That was fun. Can you set that scene a little bit? No. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so, you know, we've talked a lot about pretty fellow legendary musicians of yours that, you know, you smoked weed with, but there is one guy, uh, you know, who you mentioned in your documentary, uh, who's, you know, something of a stoner legend himself who you decidedly did not get along. Can you tell us about your relationship with Jim Morrison? Did you guys ever get high together or come close to getting over the beef? What was the issue? No, I just didn't like him. Yeah. Uh, he was a poser. He was a, a fake guy. It was not a real guy. I didn't like his music, didn't like his singing, didn't like his lyrics, didn't like uh, his band. I didn't think I didn't think they swung because they never had a bass player. And the, mm. the way that keyboard player would play bass on, on with the, his left hand was just sucked. It didn't, they didn't swing. But I didn't like Morrison personally. He was, he was very full of himself. You know, after he, they got big, uh, he thought he was the Beatles and he wasn't. So no, I didn't like the guy, period. And how about out on, out on the road, you must have gotten some, some lovely gifts from 
uh, Americas and the world's uh, underground cannabis growers? Anything, anything stick out? Oh man, <laughs> we were playing up in Napa, and somebody put a bud down on the front of the stage. Honest to God, all all three of us, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, all went for the bud. <laughs> Wait, is, was this the beginning of the problems in the band? No, <laughs> it was just too good a looking bud. It was the size of your arm, man. Because I think oh, as man. partners on this song and this TV show that we're doing, we, we got to just not let stuff like that it's come between beef. us. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, it was just the most stunning bud you ever saw. It was the size of your arm, at least your forearm and your hand. It was at least that big and huge and glorious and beautiful and stinky and wonderful. And uh, I got it, but I had to fight Nash for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, man. Uh, you want to tell us about your weed company? I guess we talked a little bit about your grow. Yeah, uh, yeah we should, yeah. Um, I, I'm going to have one. I mean, we, it exists already, but we're just not bothering to do it until it's legal. When it goes legal federally, then we can make one deal for the country as it is now you can make one deal per state and that doesn't work for us we do think that we got an advantage if you walk into a store and you see my smiles on there and you're looking at it and i'm giving you a big old smile they're gonna you're gonna probably at least pick up the package and maybe buy it. <laughs> david crosby thank you so much for joining us on the show you've really led an epic life and it's so heartening that you've been smoking weed through it all and that you're still kicking today, making music, getting high, and sitting here with us, getting lit, and just talking shit. I mean, it's, it's surreal, and we are honored to have you here. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, man. It's fun. Awesome. We'll see you at trim time. Yeah, see you at trim time. <laughs> That's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. And that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanenstock, a.k.a. Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.